So I have um, just recently returned from a month of practice in Burma. It was a month that was very inspiring to me. I mean, to begin with, I just love to practice in Burma, where uh, it really feels like touching into ancient Buddhism. And that's not to diminish what we have happening here at all, but it, it feels like going back to the roots. And sometimes I've been in Burma and I had the experience where I just felt like you know the Buddha could be just around the corner. Um, something about practicing in a country that is so steeped in Buddhism and uh, is so respected, even though this country itself is going through great struggle and a lot of suffering. There still is within it this ancient tradition that um, carries so much power. And so in coming back, I was you know, kind of reflecting on what I'd like to share with you, you know, something that related to my experience in being there. And it was kind of an interesting process for me, you know, just to think, okay, you know, what was it about? What came forth? You know, what new understanding or what clarity may have come? And as I did so, what I started to see what made most sense to talk about was what's called the five spiritual faculties. These are the faculties of faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And I think what had been quite intriguing to me in this process is this is um, you know, a, a, a teaching that we often hear about as we practice. Uh, when we develop these five spiritual faculties, they really become allies in the mind. And, you know, quite free of anything I may have ever thought about the five spiritual faculties, there I was looking at my own experience coming out of a period of intensive practice, and boom, that was just what was there. So this is what I would like to begin speaking about tonight, and it will probably be a series that will go over a a number of different weeks. So these five spiritual faculties, um, as I mentioned, they become allies in our minds when we develop them. Um, They become strong powers in the mind that really help us to dispel delusion help us to be able to see clearly. They help to bring about a balance in the mind, a balance where we find an inner harmony, where we find that we aren't so thrown off balance by the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. When we don't have these allies in the mind, these habituated mind states that can keep reoccurring will tend to throw us into states of despair, will intensify suffering in our lives. But when we have uh, these faculties actually working for us, helping us, we begin to be able to see clearly we begin to be able to touch into an intuitive wisdom, an intuitive wisdom that can guide us in our lives so that we aren't tossed about, thrown about by the activities of life, thrown about by just the happenings in our own minds. On one level, these faculties are, you know, basic faculties that we use in everyday life. For example, faith. In order to learn anything new, we need some degree of faith. You know, as a small child to learn to walk, we needed to have the faith that we could do it. Effort. We use effort over and over again any time we want to accomplish anything, any time we want to do anything. Mindfulness, we need mindfulness in order to connect with our experience in life and to know it. Concentration, we can concentrate on reading a book, we can concentrate on watching TV. Wisdom, 
We need basic intelligence just to move through life. And yet these same faculties can be used in a way that will guide us towards the deepest truth in life. Will These faculties will be able to guide us towards an understanding that can free the heart and mind. Each of these faculties works alone and has a unique offering to make. And we also find that when they work together, this is when they really help to bring everything into balance. They uh, help to create this inner harmony. And they bring about clear comprehension. So faith is what inspires us. No, faith is really what helps us begin our spiritual journey. It is what motivates us. It is what will help us to maybe move from just the hearing of these teachings uh, to actually applying ourselves, believing that something is possible for us. Faith is where we have a sense of possibility. Effort. Effort is what will help us to stay sustained upon this endeavor. It will help us to keep going, to persevere. This is regardless of whatever obstacles we may run into. And then mindfulness. This is the memory to come back, to connect with our experience. It is an awareness of what is happening. Then concentration. This will help the mind to steady, to become calm, to have the capacity to open to the deepest pain within. And then wisdom. This is where we touch into an intuitive intelligence. An intelligence that will help us in any situation in life. Will help us to bring about an understanding that frees the heart. And there is a balance within all of these faculties where there's actually two pairs in there that help to balance. Uh, Because we can find with any of these faculties, or with some of these faculties, not so much with mindfulness. Mindfulness we can always use in abundance. But with um, faith and wisdom, effort and concentration, that there can be a tendency that could, could tend to put things out of balance. But when we uh, pair them up, they balance each other out. So we find that faith and wisdom balance each other. You know, if we have a blind faith or a really exuberant faith, it's going to um, make us ungrounded. It's going to not... Uh, we're not going to be able to apply our effort or energy because there's such exuberance in the mind. But when this is balanced with wisdom, then we'll find that that, that faith becomes very usable, very accessible, um, an important motivating energy. Where wisdom itself can become quite dry and brittle. It can actually become disembodied. But faith will help it to keep uh, that wisdom alive, embodied. With energy and concentration, we find that this balances the really active ingredient of uh, energy with uh, the concentration, which is very calming. And so between the two, we can find a balance. 
And this, all of these faculties working together really protect the mind from moving into extremes. So tonight I'm just going to begin with faith. As I mentioned, this is where our practice begins. This is where we have a sense of possibility. And this sense of possibility can come about in many different ways. Now, it may be that we heard somebody speak who really inspired us, and out of that there was a sense of possibility. It may be that we observed somebody in our life whom seemed to live in a little bit different way than other people. And out of that, we, you know, we maybe noticed that they were calm, peaceful, that you know, they, they responded wisely to different situations in life. And that may evoke this sense of possibility. Or it could be in our own experience, we touched into something for a moment where we had a glimmer of living without feeling constricted, constrained, frustrated, without feeling like we were caught in despair. And it opened up something in our own minds. It opened up this sense of possibility. We find that when we touch into faith, when we touch into this sense of possibility, it will naturally bring about a lot of energy. And this is where we honor the faith. We honor this sense of possibility. I know I've heard from a number of different people of things that may have deeply touched them, but then fear set in. Fear of what the implication might be in their life projecting something, some concept idea into their life. And, and it brought up fear, and so they shut down. They denied it. But when we nurture faith, when we really you know, touch into this sense of possibility and water it in a certain way, where we move into an active exploration of this, then it brings forth this effort or energy. I'd like to speak just a little bit about the word faith itself, because for many of us, uh, we may hold it in a way that is a little bit limited more limited than how it's actually meant in Buddhist teachings. In Buddhist teachings, the word that uh, it gets translated from is that of sada, which literally translated means to place one's heart upon. No, it's where there is a strong sense of trust, confidence, reliability in giving our hearts over to something. I like to look at faith, how it plays out in my own life. And certainly, you know, in this last month that I had in Burma, I experienced a huge surge of faith. Um, And I know when I come back and I speak after having been on retreat myself, I'm often afraid I'll start to sound like a born-again Buddhist. (laughs) Such can be the strengthening of faith. And... um, Yet, that's what, I mean, it just comes up so strong. You know, so what happened for me that inspired me so much on this trip was I went to a center just outside of Yangon. It's a Shoyamin Sayada meditation center. Shoyamin Sayada was a teacher who died only a few years ago, and he lived, I forget whether it was 88, 92, how old he was when he died, but he was pretty old. And he was a very well-revered monk. 
I have heard people say that he was an arahant. Um, I have no idea. What I do know is that while practicing in his center, just going into the center, there was such a gentle feeling tone to it. Around the center were many photos of him. And always the look on his face was that of complete humility. And everything I heard about him while I was there, and I felt grateful that there were many stories told about him, um, that, you know, just everything pointed to someone who was dedicated to truth, dedicated to wisdom, understanding, and made every possible pursuit of that in his life, and never stopped until the day he died. He kept going. And for me, this just brought up a deep sense of faith. The teacher there now is Sayada Utejaniya, someone whom, you know, he, he, when he was born as a small child, he grew up with Shwayamin Sayada as, you know, just almost like a father figure in his life and, you know, grew up always hearing words of wisdom from this teacher. And, it, you know, I just had such a sense of lineage and how important lineage can be. You know, that we live in a world where there are so many practices, so many instant remedies. And to touch into something that feels like it's really been tried, and it's really true, and it's really come out of an awakened mind. Because there is many practices that we can do that will help us to feel a little bit better, a little bit more peaceful, maybe a little bit happier, a little bit more at ease in ourselves. But to do a practice that can keep you going, that can keep you looking, looking into the workings of this body and mind to find a way of being that is in accordance with the way things are. I mean, to me, it's just so inspiring. And I really felt a deep trust there so that when I received instruction, there was a trust that you know kept me from being caught in the place of skeptical doubt. Does this work? Is this okay? Will it work for me? How am I doing? You know this constant evaluation, but just really helped me to step into this place of give it a try, see, you know, just enough trust to really. Um, put into action the teachings that I was hearing. And, you know, Shwayaman Sayadaw taught a slightly different slant to meditation. There, there is many different angles to, uh, we'll find that we come, can come at liberation through the Buddhist teachings. And we will probably all resonate in different ways. And so this was just a slightly different slant, which for me was kind of exciting, interesting. You know, uh, what was being taught was still the four foundations of mindfulness, but there was a, um, a bit of an emphasis, or you know, quite a strong emphasis, towards mindfulness of the mind and just being aware on that level, but using the other foundations also, but just a stronger emphasis. And so, you know, I could see this came from the teachings of the Buddha. You know, it was really directly relatable to, back to the suttas. And I think that's important. You know, and, you know, it was for me just seeing how lineage helped me to have faith, that looking around me, getting a sense of um, people practicing in this way, the demeanor they had, you know, it, within this monastery, uh, there was a number of nuns that I talked to. I lived in a building that had many Vietnamese nuns in it. And many of them had been there for five years. And they weren't there, you know, working, doing different things. They were there practicing. And, it, and just in speaking to them, you know, just feeling their joy on being on the path, 
feeling their dedication. And all of this spoke to me to this sense of possibility. And then there was one interview I had with the teacher where he was talking about his own practice. And, you know, in this moment I don't particularly remember exactly what he said, but when he was speaking about it, I remember thinking, if he can do it, I can do it. And this, again, was that sense of possibility. And this, this faith is really something that has been transferred from mind to mind, heart to heart, since the time of the Buddha. You know, the Buddha first, in this age, anyways, I mean, I, I think there's many Buddhas before, but he inquired so deeply into his own heart and mind, realized the end of suffering, and then didn't get other people just to revere him, but said, wait, you can do it too. And this is where, you know, this sense of possibility can have such a power when we take it to heart, when we realize that something is really possible as a human being. That however deep our suffering may be, however long we have been lost, there is a way out. A way that is possible for each and every one of us. So faith has within it the qualities of trust, devotion, a confidence, and a clarity of mind that is able to dispel doubt. So to see if we can hold it in a way that isn't as if we need to have some belief, but it's really learning to turn our minds towards that which is reliable and having confidence in it. So, you know, it's uh, if we've heard the Buddha's teachings and there's some resonance with that, faith will help us then to move into an exploration of the possibility. I'd like to speak a little bit about all of these qualities that faith has just to help us to keep it in an open light. So this quality of trust, it's really crucial. Or we will try to live our lives from within the confines of the known, what we know. It won't allow us to move into the mystery of life. It won't allow us to move into the unknown. Now, we'll always be trying to keep ourselves safe and secure. But when trust is present, we find there's an openness of heart, an availability The word trust itself means to rely on without fear or misgiving. In our misguided habits, we try to rely on that which feels solid, is rational, and can be scientifically proven. And so trust requires kind of a tightening or loosening of the grip that we so often have on our lives. We need to be able to relax. We, uh, trust is really interesting because someone can't tell us how to trust. 
we have to find out for ourselves. People can point the way towards what trust is like, um, the benefits of trust. But until we relax within our own being, we won't know trust. There's one thing that I've done in my life that really helped me get a tangible sense of trust. And that is floating in a warm ocean. Now, if you're scared in oceans, or if the water's cold, or if there's big waves, this might not really work. But if you're in an ocean on a calm day that is warm, and you lay floating on your back, and you simply let yourself be held. This was actually a practice I did in a point in my life when I'd been very sick. And I had this practice where every day I just made myself open. I can't say made myself because you can't make yourself open. But just to find a way that I could, for a moment, let there be this deep relaxation. And at this time, I lived by the ocean. So, you know, on those warm days, I would lay there floating and just let myself be held. And when we have trust, we can relax and let ourselves be held by the Dhamma, by the truth, by the lawfulness of life. When we do this, there is such an ease, a peace that comes. And, you know, when we really let ourselves be held, we still will encounter difficulty. But we'll have more faith, more trust, that we have the capacity to meet this moment. I'd like to share a teaching from uh, a man named Hamid Almas. He's a teacher on the West Coast who brings together a synthesis, synthesis of Eastern philosophy and Western psychology. And this is from his teaching about trust. We don't trust that if we relax, we will have the capacities, we will have the intelligence, we will have the strength and we will have the compassion that we need to deal with our lives. We don't trust that reality as it is, is fundamentally fine and will work for us and support us without any interference on our part. Basic trust is learning that life is manageable, is workable, that we can relax into it and just let it be. It is that trust that the universe itself supports us and that we have the inner resources to deal with whatever life presents us. Basic trust means trusting enough to let your mind stop, to be silent within. Trust to let yourself be silent within. Knowing this, if there is something you need to know, the knowing will come. It means trusting that if you need to do something, you will be able to do it. It means accepting and trusting the silence, the stillness, the beingness. If we don't trust, we can't let our minds be silent, and we can't let ourselves be still. What we find is a deep inner trust, trust in our own resolve, and trust in the power of awareness. We trust that this is enough. Trusting that this is enough, that we have the intelligence, we have the wisdom. What happens? We get tight, contracted. We don't have access to that wisdom. We get afraid. But as our faith strengthens, as trust strengthens, it brings a spaciousness that we can touch into this intelligence, this wisdom, 
trust is really the opposite of the grasping mind, the wanting mind. In our practice, when we have trust, we find that we can turn up for our experience no matter what it is. It doesn't mean our practice will only be pleasant. But we trust that in meeting this moment, that with whatever amount of mindfulness we have, that this is what will ultimately help us. We find that we can trust in the power of awareness itself. And, you know, when we go through really difficult times, this is a time we can really put this to the test. What happens if you're really in pain and you just start to pay attention to it? You don't try to manipulate it. You don't try to change it. But you just know it. Our whole relationship changes to it. We're no longer caught in feeding the story. We're no longer caught in trying to define ourselves by the experience. There's a simple knowing that happens. And when we're really resting in that knowing, we're not fighting, we're not struggling. It's like stepping into the fire rather than running from the fire. And when we do this with awareness, when we do this with mindfulness, we find a coolness of mind. We find a refuge. In order to do this, we have to stop thinking life is against us, others are against us. And we just have to honor our experience, whatever it is. of trust that's being a part of faith. We also find faith has the quality of devotion. I know many of us hear devotion and it's like, not me. (laughs) You know, they have images, people devoted to gurus, teachers, um, uh, people doing strange things out of a sense of devotion and think, oh, not me. (laughs) Um, And yet, Devotion is a very energizing quality. And I think if we look at it in our own experience, we might find that it's actually quite present for us. I know during a time when it was after I had been devoted to a guru, had gone through a stage of feeling burnt by that experience, you know, had no interest in devotion, found myself passionate about meditation. No, was going off to any retreat I could possibly get myself to and would just sit there day after day and at some point realized that there was this immense devotion to truth and that this brought about this great energizing quality. And that, you know, having this devotion to truth Um, enables us to bring a care, a dedication into how we practice. Devotion has within it the quality of respect. And so it helps us to bring a respectful energy into how we practice. It really allows us to practice with full heart. You know, this is really, devotion is that movement of giving the heart over. So it's really that active ingredient. 
And, you know, it can be as simple as being devoted to truth. Um, Suzuki Roshi, you know, a well-known Zen master, once said, moment after moment, completely devote yourself to listening to your own inner voice. Now, this may be a way in which we can relate to this word devotion. Sometimes we will find devotion plays itself out through, you know, it could be, you know, an image of the Buddha, or it could be a teacher that we have, that we have a lot of admiration for. And this, again, can help invoke this sense of possibility so that it doesn't feel so remote, so distant. It, it acts as a bridge um, to really strengthen this sense of possibility. We might find that this quality of devotion strengthens as we practice. And this strengthens when we get a growing sense of appreciation and gratitude. You know, where in our own experience, we discover things for ourselves that we've heard in the teachings and just feel immense gratitude that there's people there, teachings there, to help us understand what way to go. You know, if we had to figure this all out from scratch for ourselves, there's so many ways the mind can trick us. It could take a very, very long time. But, you know, we can have this sense of appreciation that there is a whole lineage, lineages that have been devoted to this. And, you know, we can find immense respect comes I'd actually like to share something from Ajahn Mun. Ajahn Mun was a Thai forest monk who was said to have become fully awakened. And what I want to read you comes from, hopefully I can read it, (laughs) comes from uh, something that happened on the day or evening of his enlightenment. And this is, you know, after some realization. He said, uh, um, this is mm. okay. So, throughout the remainder of that night, Acharya Mun considered with a sense of dismay how pathetically ignorant he had been in the past, being dragged endlessly from one existence to another like a puppet. He wept as he thought of how he finally came upon a pool of crystal clear, wondrous tasting water. He had. Uh, he had reached that sparkling pool of pure Dhamma that the Lord Buddha and his Arahant disciples encountered and then proclaimed to the world over 2,500 years ago. Having at long last encountered it himself, he tirelessly paid heartfelt homage, prostrating himself over and over again to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Should people have seen him then, tears streaming down his face as he prostrated over and over again, surely they would have assumed that this monk was suffering. Immensely, shedding tears so profusely, they probably would have suspected him of beseeching the guardian spirits, living in all directions to help ease his pain, or else of being on the verge of madness, for his behavior was extremely unusual. In fact, he had just arrived at the truth of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha with utmost clarity as um, he who sees the Dhamma sees the Tathagata. This is how the Buddha was often referred to himself. And then abides in the presence of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Acharya Man was simply engaged in a kind of conduct befitting someone who is overwhelmed by a sincere sense of gratitude. When I first read that, I was on retreat, and I had just had some heart-opening experience. And then I read that, and I was just there along with <laughs> Ajahn Man, uh, you know, tears just flowing. And, you know, this is the sense of devotion that comes from this sense of gratitude, appreciation for all those beings that have walked this path and help us, that point the way. 
So that's one time we may find devotion strengthening. Another time, and I find it quite odd, but I've seen it in my own experience, is when I am totally humbled, when I am brought to my knees by suffering. You know, which usually is suffering in just in seeing how caught up, identified, entangled I can get with wretched states in the mind and be suffering immensely. But when that suffering is strong enough, I have found the fight stops. There comes a moment where it's too much to fight. One doesn't have the energy to fight anymore. And in those moments, the sense of possibility arises. You know, or in those moments, we might remember somebody who has inspired us. And again, it makes that link. It, it brings alive in that moment this sense of possibility in not being a far-off state, but being a richness that can be experienced in this moment. I'd like to share a poem by an Australian cartoonist named Michael Lunick. Um, he's quite well known in Australia, and I've always liked his cartoons, his poetry. He writes a lot of poetry because they seem to have a dharmic twist to them. And so I'd like to share this one. When the heart is cracked or broken, do not clutch it. Let the wound lie open. Let the wind from the good old sea blow in to bathe the wound with salt and let it sting. Let a stray dog lick it. Let a bird lean in the hole and sing a simple song like a tiny bell and let it ring. These moments of suffering that we encounter in our life can really be a place where we find the arising of faith, when we can be open and vulnerable in these moments. The Buddha actually said that suffering was the proximate cause for the arising of faith. And it's really contrary to what the mind might think. And so, you know, just don't gloss over these moments of suffering. Pay attention. Let your heart be open. You know, let, let it be exposed, be touched. This is where something is possible. We will find this quality of devotion naturally grows out of our practice. And it's really the juice of our practice. It's the energizing quality. Actually, a friend just said to me today, it's the energizing bunny of our practice. (laughs) So devotion, another aspect of faith. Confidence. Confidence as it relates to in faith is not what we often think of, you know, someone being confident, they might be full of pride, arrogant, you know, can appear as if they're very confident. But more what we find is that we become confident in what we place our hearts upon. And this really happens in a retreat setting where, you know, we are applying the teachings as we sit here, moment by moment in our experience. And then, you know, we really begin to have verified faith. We've seen things for ourselves. And out of that, there comes this confidence. And what will happen then is this confidence will help us when we meet even bigger obstacles that we won't be so quick to, you know, just go, I can't do it, you know, that we will have the confidence. We've seen, you know, we might in our practice experience 
some states of mind that have been a problem to us that we've been caught in over and over again. And then suddenly we begin to see that we don't need to identify. It's just a mind state, you know, and it's just like any other experience. But then there's these other mind states that are so deeply wedged and we're so fearful of that we feel like, no way, can't handle, that's different. But because of the confidence we've gained through being with, you know, maybe a a light form of wanting, and we've really been able to uh, recognize it just for what it is, that helps give us the confidence to be with that which is much more fearful, much more deeply habituated. It helps us to be able to stand steadier. So it's a really important quality to call forth in our practice. And so, you know, sometimes by way of gaining confidence, it can be helpful to actually reflect on times in our practice where we have had confidence, where we were able to be steady, where, you know, we we could let our experience be supported by wisdom. And that can help us to gain confidence to meet further difficulties. So confidence being another aspect of faith. What we find when we have trust, devotion, confidence, that there actually comes about a clarity of mind that is able to dispel doubt. We gain the courage, the confidence to move into unknown territory. And often, you know, if we don't have that strong confidence, we move into unknown territory, this is where doubt will come in. This is where, you know, we might doubt ourselves, we can doubt the practice, the teachings, the teachers, any aspect of that we can doubt. But when this confidence, when devotion, when the energy is there, and when we're really trusting, this just allows there to be naturally this clarity of mind that can see things as they are, and then there's no room for doubt. We're fully connected with our experience in the moment. And this is what helps to dispel doubt. When doubt is present, we're moving into skepticism. We're separating from our experience. We're thinking about our experience. We're trying to figure out what's happening. But when faith is there, it helps us to move close to our experience, to touch our experience, to know our experience, to be our experience, and then where can doubt come in? it really becomes impossible. And we find then that there comes an unshakable faith. We have complete confidence in what we place our hearts upon. It is normal that as we walk this path, we will come across doubt, that at times it will really destabilize us. It will, you know, move us into a type of paralysis where we can't move forward. We're too fearful. We're caught in this doubt. We're believing the thoughts. But what becomes helpful is to be able to recognize when doubt is playing out, recognize the voice of doubt, the thoughts of doubt that arise in the mind, And then, instead of believing those thoughts, believing those voices of doubt, turn it into an inquiry, an active investigation, where instead of believing what we're telling ourselves about experience, we look into experience itself. We come close. We step into experience and let the experience speak to us rather than this mind of skeptical doubt. So this is what faith can do for us. It can move us to a place where it dispels confusion in the mind. 
it dispels doubt and brings about this real steadfastness of the heart that can engage wholeheartedly on this journey. It's really, you know, this energizing force that helps us to wholeheartedly bring presence into this moment. So faith, having the qualities of trust, devotion, confidence, and a clarity of mind that is able to dispel doubt. Faith being the first of the five spiritual faculties. Really what helps us begin our journey and helps us to keep motivated, to keep going, to keep walking on. Faith will help us to be able to rest on this journey so that it is not a constant battle. It helps us to drop into the place of trust. Trusting that who we are, what we have, is enough. So let's just sit for a moment. This talk was given by Maya Shin Kelly at the Forest Refuge on February 7, 2006. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio 